And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Genesis 2-7. Hail Satan. And welcome to the Fool's Guide to the Occult. I'm Lux Estrada. And I'm a golem. And speaking of forms brought into being by outside forces, we're here today to talk to you all about servitors and other thought forms. But first, we have some journaling to do. Luxa, you got something for us? Yeah, yeah. So as we discussed before, I have all the pertinent info here. You know, the date and time, lunar cycle, if you're into that, location, weather, physical feelings, motion, you know, what you're up to. So, all right. I've been continuing autogenics training. I started this a little bit ago. Um, it's been pretty cool. I'm enjoying it. I started to notice after doing the exercises that there's been sort of like a tingly feeling in my head, which I assume means that it's working. <laughs> At least something is happening at any rate. <laughs> I've been starting out with that stuff in the morning, like right after the dream journaling, which I kind of keep in like a separate book for convenience. Um, and then I kind of go into like the normal morning meditation, like just like a little couple minutes thing to check out what's going on with yourself before you get started with your day. Another thing I started to do recently was to keep a dedicated calendar with the journal so I can kind of have like an easy way of keeping track of things in a visual fashion. I found this to be pretty helpful. I definitely recommend it to people if you are a visual person. Yeah, that's a great idea. Oh, yeah, no, definitely, dude. Another thing I realized too is that you know, we had this episode about relaxation, you know, recently, and we didn't really talk about the potential therapeutic nature of journaling, which it can definitely be. So that's a, that's a thing. And to get more stuff on relaxation, definitely go check out our last episode on the topic. But uh, yeah, dude, how about you? Yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to use the standard journaling format for this because it's something I do particularly regularly, but uh, I don't often write about it. Our last episode was about relaxation, like you mentioned, and our stuff to practice was related to self-hypnosis. Uh, I have flavors of both in this little tidbit of personal practice for everyone. So I often play with my astral temple before going to bed. This is typically not advised because you tend to be like, you know, in a sleepy state and you risk like passing out and not really getting into the work that you want to get done. But I tend to like go to bed or like get in bed, you know, like a little bit before I'm, I'm like tired and about to pass out. So I find that like if you have like a regular schedule, you can you can kind of get into a routine and, and make stuff work. But anyway, so. What I'll do is I'll stretch out really well and I'll do that ball of light relaxation technique that we've talked about and taught you all in the past and like pretty much every book on occultism out there teaches. And then I proceed to enter my astral temple and kind of like what this looks like for me. And I've always referred to it as my mind castle and I, I didn't know it was called the astral temple until I actually picked up a book on it, that kind of stuff uh, a while ago. But so what the process looks like for me is a little bit different than my understanding of how most people kind of do it. First, I imagine myself into a like blank white void, exactly like we discussed in our self-hypnosis in the last episode, except I bring my body with me, my like residual self-image, I bring that into it. Um, and this is important because of the steps that are to follow. So what I'll do is I will take out a piece of chalk from my pocket. Like, again, this is all happening in my mind, not literally, and then draw a door in the void with a little handle. And I put the chalk away and I open the door and I step through it and I close it behind me. And this leaves me in a place that I sort of designed to look kind of like many movie theaters you might have been in, like red carpet floor, yeah. rough kind of gray carpeted nonsense stuff on the walls with little LED track lights so you can see where you're going and it's not too bright. And then once you're inside, or once I'm inside, to the left, there's a small staircase that leads down into like an actual movie theater type room, which uh, was kind of designed for like astral projection and memory recall and dream work. Um, but straight ahead, there's another staircase, and each stair has a number on it, starting with 10 at the top. And as I step down with each number, 
I use that relaxation, that from 10 to 1 hypnotic state. So each one is labeled 10 to 1 as you move down. And then once you get to the, the last step, that's the astral temple itself, or as I refer to it, the mind castle. And so this is a bit of like meditative or trance type idea built off that self-hypnosis concept that we taught you in the last episode that I kind of built into my own personal practice in a different way. So yeah, I hope through that you can see kind of how you can take some of these ideas and concepts and kind of bend them and weave them into to something different, enhancing your own practice and kind of building, I guess, your own practice out of different little tidbits of things. You know, just keep notes on what you do. Yeah, no, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I, I just want to say I love how organized everything is there that, you know, that you've uh, created. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very organized, yeah. Mine tends to be a little bit chaotic. It's more of like an organic construct, at least like on the inside. Hmm. Um, it kind of like grows and changes a lot. And this is cool because it allows for like a lot of exploration, but I've been trying to get more organized in general. So I think I might you know, take a page out of your book and do a little bit of astral housekeeping next time I visit there. Yeah. You know, it can't hurt, right? <laughs> Not at all. Go down there with a broom, sweep it up, do a little reconstruction. <laughs> you know, cleanliness is next to godliness or something. I'm not going to talk about the Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, that, I think that phrase was first recorded in the sermons of John Wesley in like the 1700s, but Billy Corgan used to have this really nice tea house called Madame Zuzu's in the northern suburbs of Chicago. <laughs> I went there several times with my friends, including our former co-host, Tyler, uh, when I lived in the area. Um, we used to call it just Billy Corgan's Tea House, but it shut down in 2018, I think. But anyway, back yeah, to Servidors. Right. Well, it does sound amazing. At least you got to visit while it lasted. But indeed, back to Servitors. All right. So, all right, we introduced this concept in our first episode about chaos magic, but we really wanted to get into it today. Um, we're going to talk about servitors and egregores, uh, plus fill you guys in on what we've been up to lately as it relates to today's topic. All right, so working with servitors and egregores, or even god forms, can all be placed into the category of evocation. I know that we've talked about it before on this show, or at least those guys have. So what that basically means, though, is summoning or calling forth. Sure does. Being a history teacher and an anthropologist, I really love digging into the history of these things before we go into some of the actual how-tos and two-nots. So if you'll in indulge me for a little bit. Yeah, I would love to. All right. Well, perhaps the earliest example of these things are golems, at least the first examples I'm able to find. I'm sure people have been evoking spirits for a long time, but if we exclude all of the world's religions that posit that human beings were created as servants for the gods for one reason or another, when it comes to the generation of magical servants that do not already exist as some kind of spirit in a, you know various religious system, golems seem to be the first thing that pop up in religious texts, legends, mythology, stuff like that. The earliest examples I could find come from Jewish folklore, and I read somewhere that the term golem is used in modern Hebrew as a sort of pejorative term used to call somebody like dumb or helpless, but I don't have Jewish background, so I can't really back that up for you. <laughs> I do, and I also cannot back that up. But if you guys know, let us know, because that would be interesting to find out. Indeed. So the creation of a golem involved fashioning some kind of humanoid shape out of inanimate material, most often clay or mud. Our intro quote from the book of Genesis indicates this. Um, this is also found in the Hebrew Talmud, where Adam was originally fashioned as a golem. There seems to be some indication out there in various texts um, and interpretations of them, such as the book of a creation, which claims that animation of a golem is achieved through some sort of ecstatic experience in ritual while combining letters of the Hebrew alphabet into one of the many names of God, if that sounds familiar in any way. <laughs> it sounds very, very familiar. All right. Well, from here, the letters are written on a piece of paper and inserted in the mouth of the golem or some cases uh, hung around its neck or carved right into its forehead. But to deactivate the golem, you just need to destroy the name. So having the paper is quite useful. Once activated, the golem can perform various tasks such as physical labor, but couldn't really speak. 
There's some interesting stories about having the words carved into the forehead and using the word uh, truth in Hebrew. And then to deactivate it, you just change one of the letters and the word becomes death. Or if you carve out one of the letters, I guess it, it becomes death. And then the golem just deactivates. Stories of golems can be found in Polish folklore. Various versions of the Grimm brothers uh, collected folktales hinting golems. And of course, you can find them in uh, nonsense like uh, Magic the Gathering or Dungeons and Dragons, stuff like that. <laughs> we can definitely talk more about Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering in a future discussion about pop culture and magic. I'm actually super stoked to talk about pop culture and magic. So we'll we'll do that at some point. Yeah, dude, we should do it soon for Patreon. We can kind of do like a less formal discussion. We crack a couple beers, talk about magic with a K and D&D. I'm, I'm down. Let's do it. All right. Hell yeah. All right. All right. Back to servitors and thought forms. All right. So more in line with what we will be talking about today is an entity called a tulpa, which comes from Tibetan Buddhism. And it's important to remember that Tibetan Buddhism is a synchronistic religion in the sense that it's a combination of Buddhism as it spread east from India towards what is now China and combined with the local pagan folklore or traditions that were already there. So it's it's sort of like a combination of, of two religions. So in Tibet, there was already this idea of a tulpa, which is a thought form, um, which I guess is you know, a, a fairly a appropriate term that manifests into being through the power of the consciously directed will of an individual. I wouldn't be at least bit surprised if this concept is where sort of we get the idea, the Western idea of a servitor in, in like modern Western occultism. Uh, the servitor is as its name indicates, a magical servant of sorts. Unlike the golem, it does not have a physical form of any kind. Well, typically, it can be anchored in a physical form. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think thought form is a pretty good word for it, right? Like, it's a you know, good catch-all descriptor for today's topic. It's, it's a, a form made of thought, and maybe there's other things involved, but at its essence, that's really what it is, right? Yeah, and you know, instead of like chopping wood for you, you'd send it out to, I don't know, like bring back energy or uh, help you find a date to the prom or something. I don't know. Uh, and, and we're going to talk about that later, like, you know, things that we've used these guys for. So yeah, yeah. totally. As Luxa mentioned earlier, this servitor creation is a process known as evocation, which our lovely author Peter J. Carroll writes the following uh, evocation is the art of dealing with magical beings or entities in various acts which create or contact them and allow one to conjure and command them with pacts and exorcism many of you are perhaps familiar with the key of solomon which contains various sigils that can be used to conjure a myriad of historical demons at one point in time these sigils had to be made right they didn't exit they didn't been magically around for all of time and while others may be of a different opinion, I feel like with these sigils, the entities were also brought into being or someone brought these things into being at some point and then they were like, oh shit, we need to control them. So we're going to create a sigil. So it was one way or the other. The difference is historical servitors like say Asmodeus were not killed off and forgotten by their makers and have sort of lived on through folklore and mythology and various magical traditions. And some were even like older pagan gods that were sort of twisted and turned into demons through Christian folklore as they kind of went around colonizing Europe. Yeah, I know. It's a super interesting concept, you know, like this idea of where this stuff arises from, right? But I definitely agree with you on that point. I mean, I obviously don't know, but my suspicion would be that as you said, it's this kind of thing where we've been ascribing meaning to something for so long, so on and so forth. <laughs> uh, but more on that in later episodes, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, in general terms, <laughs> I think that you could say this. If you don't have like a cognizant way of dealing with the thought forms that you create, they might grow and mutate in ways which they were never intended. So that's why, you know, self-awareness first of all right but then also you know careful planning and design are key to beginning work with thought forms 
So Yeah, absolutely. This can be dangerous, as we will talk about later on. In the vast majority of cases, you want to kill off a servitor when it has completed its job or have some sort of half-life, you know, a decay time of sorts or a a destruction programming of some kind built into it. Carol does discuss that there are three ways to activate a servitor. One is to seek them clairvoyantly um, or stumble upon them in some sort of hypnotic state or channeling state where you're just kind of opening yourself up to the universe. Uh, The second is to pull them from various grimoires like Yves Solomon. Um, I believe that this second one is where you'll probably start out when you're considering employing a servitor. The reason being that a, a servitor that's been in service before has probably more psychic or magical energy attached to it um, and thus will be more powerful and hopefully good at its job just as always you know be careful and clear and specific with your intent and what you want and what you can and can't do and honestly unless you're you know the reincarnation of Aleister Crowley or a 90 year old sage who's been doing this since you were 13 you probably don't want to you know be toying around with the how do you pronounce it Goetia 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 I don't know I think it's Goetia. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, totally, dude. Um, I mean, it just depends on what you're into, too. I mean, I've I've heard of people, like, talking about, you know, really productive work with the Goetia, but to be honest, I've never worked through it, so I can't really opine personally. Uh, it definitely seems like something to be treated with a healthy dose of respect, though. It makes intuitive sense that something that's older has had longer to gather meaning and to gather power, you know? So I guess definitely learn as much as you can before attempting this type of work or actually, you know, any type of work. It's always a good general rule to be informed, right? So <laughs> Yeah, that's why they say like don't dabble, right? The difference between dabbling and practicing is like dabbling is fooling around. It's like poking a stick in fire, whereas practicing is like you know what you're doing, right? Yeah, yeah. I think you had brought up before like this idea of going into your uh, computer computer's uh operating system and just randomly deleting files oh yeah no, that's a great <laughs> metaphor <laughs> yeah i think it, it applies here too so yeah yeah act with intention that's all absolutely all right so you've done your research there's no historical spirit or demon or elemental or fae or pixie or fawn that you want to employ nor is there a deity to petition to carry out your will You're not an adept clairvoyant either, so you're not going to pull one out of the ether somewhere. So you're going to create your own servitor. Now, what the heck do you do? The creation of a new servitor is a lot similar to many of the ways that we've already talked about creating sigils. You might start with a statement of intent. Actually, you probably should. You definitely should. Then you can, you know, ask the tarot or another oracle of your choice of it advice on the topic and then build off of that sometimes people uh, will build some of the symbolism from the oracle they consulted right into their servitor's construction arc trader blue fluke talks about that in the cartoon guide to chaos you may and probably should bring in some of those symbolism but you know really it's up to you you can also use a variety of other symbolism like say astrological symbols or other signs related to the work that you're trying to get done. Um, You can program those right into it. There are countless other pieces of symbolism you can bring into play depending on your needs. Uh, It can be useful to consult like a book of magical correspondences. Uh, Phil Hine points this out on page 107 of Condensed Chaos. Astrological symbols or symbols of moon phases can be useful for setting sort of a decay or self-destruct time, incorporating dates or even very specific times into the statement of intent. And the servitor's construction can also be useful for doing this. Once you have all your symbolism compiled and you've drafted up um, a few versions of the sigil, It's good practice to sort of stylize it. Uh, You can see good examples of this in both Arctrader Blue Fluke's work and Phil Hines' work. Remember the servitor that you've created, you kind of have to feed it, visualize it, see it fulfilling its job. Uh, It's much easier to do this if the servitor, in my opinion, it's easier to do this if the servitor looks like, like a little animal or a monster or an anthropomorphized something or other. So... 
see how you can kind of like bend your sigil into a little cartoon critter. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Hein does have an example later in his book about servitor creation at a seminar, which he called Go Flow Flog, which is <laughs> it's this cat with sunglasses and it's riding a skateboard. So your servitors don't have to have, you know, arcane looking lines and things like that. They can be actual shapes or like images. Exactly. You can make your imaginary friends look however you want them to look. Exactly. But it, it really depends on sort of like your level of visualization and how experienced you are. And I think it's probably best to start out simple and then work up. Like uh, a lot of the early sigils that Carol and Hein talk about, um, they say generally people make them just like visualize them as like spheroids or blobs. Mm -hmm. um, but hey, it's it's your world. Um, craft it to your liking. <laughs> it's your world. <laughs> yeah. What was that guy's name? Bob Ross? Yes, thank you. Happy little servitor. <laughs> Your happy world, little servitor you know, yeah, make, make it how you want. Like a little servitor there, like, okay. you know. <laughs> yeah, little ASMR servitors all over the place. <laughs> Having a happy little good time. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. It's, you know, best to trust your instinct on this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, totally. All right, so setting them in motion, pretty easy. You can use any of the methods we've already discussed in the past for firing sigils or casting spells. You can use the lightning flash or the airburst methods that Phil Hine discusses. Just remember to charge the sigil beforehand. Banish your space before you begin your ritual. Ground and center yourself. I like to create sort of an axis mundi and go from there. Again, like I primarily work from the empty-handed gesture. So if you're not doing that, whatever. You know, you have your own practice. Do what works for you. Yeah, no, exactly. Everybody's, everybody's different. Yeah, and my, my opinion too is that like sometimes implements, they can help you focus or they can be a distraction. So it really depends on what is going on. Yeah, definitely. What your personal practice looks like and maybe even like what mood you're in at any given point in time. So, mm -hmm. so you can go forth, give your sigil a little extra energy if you want and then fire it off. Then you want to kind of banish your space and deconstruct your temple if that's part of how you work. Uh, remember, you can always use any level of equipment you're comfortable with. Some people find it really helps to have a wand or athame or altar um, when doing magical work. Like I said, I generally work from the empty-handed gesture, but sometimes I'll use like a candle, and really that's, that's about it for me, sitting on the floor. Yeah, no, for sure. Do you like, and you know, like I've said before, it really depends on what I'm doing, but you know, empty handed stuff is always accessible, you know, and especially like, you know, when the opportunity arises. So it, it's kind of helpful to get used to doing things that way too, if you can. Uh, yeah, I like it because it allows me the freedom of doing things wherever I want at any given point in time and not really sort of relying on implements like a crutch. Sure. But implements do have their own energy and power and things like that. So, you know, I don't want definitely. to poo-poo that for people. Like, that's that's real. Oh, so, yeah. You know. No, definitely. Like, I think I, I have this kind of idea of, like, careful planning and crafting something and kind of, like, setting it aside until the time you know you'll feel it when it's right to like spring right and you'll kind of have it like ready to go and it depends on what's going on like when that happens right like maybe you will have your implements and you'll want to use them or maybe you will be somewhere that you were expecting and you're like okay well this is the perfect time to enact this plan that i've created you know that i've been kind of on hold with until the time is right so i don't know if, if that makes sense yeah yeah totally cool all right, so the last thing here is servitor death. And I really love how Architrator Blue Fluke describes the killing of a servitor. And they write, It's vital that once your servitor has completed its task, that you delete it. If you fail to do so, it will grow and become resentful and possibly turn on you. Deletion is simple. Ignore it. Since your attention is its food, by giving it none, you starve it to death. This is why you never assign a personality in such. To do otherwise may grant it sentience and would be cruel to both you and the servitor. This is also, you know, why you don't name animals that you intend on eating. It's true. When it comes to servitors, your thoughts and attention are literally their food. Some practitioners will also design like a power source into their servitor. Like, I don't know, maybe the moon or something like that. 
Um, it seems to me like that could have unforeseen consequences um, if you didn't like really think it through. So, you know, think about your design. As you mentioned, Wishmaster, right? <laughs> Last time we talked about this subject, so. Yeah, I like to use that movie as sort of, it's a bit of a joke and a cautionary tale, right? Because if you've seen Wishmaster, the djinn is a real jag. He, he takes everyone's wishes and twists them and uses them like quite literally to destroy them. But it also crosses that line between like comedy and horror sometimes. So it's, you know, it's silly, <laughs> which is really how I see all of existence quite often. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, that's absolutely. <laughs> if you don't laugh, you'll uh, either cry or shrink into a ball of cowering terror. So. <laughs> right. Um, as far as using the moon as a power source my understanding is it has to do with decay time so like you power it like maybe starting at the new moon and then it builds in power to the full moon and then slowly decays down back to the new moon again Mm -hmm. you know but be cautious and careful for sure yeah no definitely yeah all right so what about a name does a servitor need to have a name People do name servitors. It can be useful. Uh, Hind states that it's, it's helpful in like creating and powering and controlling them. Just be careful not to take that too much further, right? Don't give it like a people name, like Phyllis or something like that. Usually the name is sort of like a mantra built off its statement of intent or like its purpose or something like that. You can also anchor your servitor in a physical object, which makes it easier to kill off, you know, drain an egg and then draw or paint the sigil on its shell. That's one method. And then, you know, you could create an origami critter and draw the sigil on it that way. Carve it into a candle. When the candle burns down past the sigil, the servitor dies. Clay models. Possibilities are pretty much limited to your imagination. But as far as a name... It doesn't have to have a name. It can have a name. It can be helpful, but I, I don't know. It's your magic. It's not a requirement, I don't think. Yeah, right. You do you. <laughs> yeah, totally. There's also this thing called an egregore, and I've seen this spelled both with an E and with an I, so jury's out on that, I guess. Um, <laughs> don't worry about it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't stress it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to pass it off to, to Luxa to, to talk about this a little more because I feel like I've been talking a whole lot and I have a drink <laughs> here that is not nearly finished. All right. Well, agricores, as we mentioned in episode two of the season, are thought forms which exist between members of a group. These are definitely considered to be much more powerful and have a lot more agency than a servitor. According to the Watkins Dictionary of Magic, an egregore is defined as a thought form created in psychic groups or magical ceremonies by the combined will or visualization powers of the participants. Magicians believe it is often more effective to work ceremonially with an egregore since this provides a cumulative effect in terms of magical visualization and one can benefit from the residual energetic power of magical workings which have taken place at an earlier time. I've also heard it described as a a form of group mind, like still an entity but made up of or at the same time influencing the thoughts of, you know, the people that are participating in it somehow. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right, another example of how these things might manifest is the egregore known as Ellis, which arose through the experiments with a linking sigil called LS. Um, we're not going to go too far into it here, but it's a really interesting concept, so we thought we should at least mention it. The basic idea is this. A sigil was created for the purpose of linking it to others like it and forming a network. This network could then be tapped into for a variety of purposes, Uh, The linking sigil was placed in areas where energy could be funneled into it, uh, which is also part of the intended design of the sigil. As experiments with it continued, practitioners began to notice what they described as an emergent sentience arising within the network. (laughs) From everything that has been said about it, uh, this emerging sentience, she's not to be fucked with either. I haven't had any personal contact with her from everything that I know about it. That's probably a good thing, maybe. But I I guess, like, from everything that people have said about it, a wave and a nod are cool, but don't get bossy with her. If you guys are interested in learning more about this, I suggest you go look up the DKMU 
they're the group that did this work and they have a lot of really cool stuff out there about the linking sigil and god forms and other very interesting things so go check that out that's the dkmu got it sounds fun <laughs> i wonder <laughs> i wonder if you could do something like this in like i don't know varying degrees is like uh, i don't know graffiti artist or something like that like you could create a sigil and say the sigil's purpose is to provide extra power to your magic right and you have this sigil as your tag and you go around and you tag it everywhere and you set it up to be like charged by the psychic energy of the people who pay attention to it. And then maybe you could have like a hub sigil carved into some object on your altar or right into the altar itself. I guess that kind of leans into like intentional psychic vampirism and there might be some ethical issues there, but you know, it could be an interesting experiment. Yeah, no, definitely. And so I think that like the experiments with the LS sigil, like the linking sigil definitely prove that like what you're talking about is possible. Like it's, it's also noted too, that from everything I've read, at least in terms of the LS network, the sigil doesn't really need to be even visible for it to be effective either. So that's kind of an interesting side note. And yeah, as far as psychic vampirism goes, I would love to talk about that in a later episode, shall we? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, why not? Um, <laughs> but the the not visible thing is really interesting. So you could like hide it using like UV active clear paint or I don't know, like never wet or something like that. So it only shows up when it rains or I don't know, invisible ink, something like that. That'd be kind of interesting. Yeah, dude, there are so many different possibilities. So much fun. Oh, yeah. All right. I think... <laughs> You know, I think it might be time for an interlude of some kind. Yes, I think so. All right. So I know I'm only supposed to choose one card, but sometimes the rules don't always apply. So I am going to talk about two different cards today, <laughs> and I'll explain why. Yeah, I mean, what kind of rules if we don't break them from That's time right. to time, right? <laughs> The key of joy is disobedience, as Alistair Crowley said. Amen. <laughs> anyway, today's episode is brought to you by the Knight of Wands and the Knight of Pentacles. So knights are all about the hard work. They're kind of the messengers for their kingdom, you know, their suit, charging out there and, you know, causing action in the area of life represented by, you know, the pentacle or the wand, as it is in this case. Uh, the Knight of Wands is about action in the realm of ideas and creativity, inspiration, and knowledge. And this can also mean setting out on an adventure. Next, the Knight of Pentacles represents action and manifestation in the material world. This can be accomplished through like strategy and implementation, determination, and effort. It can also have to do with resources appearing in unexpected ways. So naturally, I thought this would be a good choice for our discussion today because sometimes when you're dealing with these thought forms uh they can be a little bit unpredictable <laughs> since the whole discussion revolving around servitors and egregores really is kind of the central point to it is the concept of taking a thought and externalizing it the action of plucking something from one world and placing it into another uh so i thought this dynamic nightly duo seemed like a good fit you know, maybe there's a better choice out there in the deck. Uh, I'd love to hear guys' thoughts about it. Let me know. Totally. All right. Well, thank you for that interlude. Um, <laughs> so that brings us to the show where we just want to like talk about sort of our experience with the topic a little bit. So earlier we discussed some history, a variety of techniques, methods of sort of creating and evoking it, one of these entities. And, you know, it's really similar to our episode on sigils so you know let's let's share with our lovely listeners some examples of some of the things we've done yes let's do that okay so this was one of my first and i think it's a little bit unusual you know what actually i don't really have any idea of what is usual what people are up to out there <laughs> so it's probably much weirder stuff than what we're up to. <laughs> i'm sure I created this servitor with kind of a twofold purpose. The first of which was to help me obtain some information, or maybe guidance is a better word. Um, I was having a difficult time like breaking out of a certain way of thinking that I didn't want to be thinking anymore. I just couldn't figure out how to get from A to B though. So I knew that for me, there was probably some kind of a simple solution. I just needed to find it. 
So I programmed the servitor to go out and fetch it for me. And as seems to be the case with this kind of stuff, uh, I stumbled upon a book a few days later that had exactly what I was looking for. So the second task for the servitor was that it was going to help me to make sure that I didn't revert back to the old ways of thinking, like once I had the information that I needed. So it was going to kind of help me get into the new habit so it could solidify and replace the old habit. It kind of sat there with me as I studied and did all the little exercises in the book and everything. Anyway, uh, you know, I wish I would have been versed in this stuff back when I was in school because it probably would have been really useful for helping out with research and stuff like that. Uh, if any of you guys out there are students and are using servitors to aid you with your studies, let us know because I would love to hear about that. Oh my god, I really want to hear about the use of magic in academia, yeah. <laughs> both on the student and professor end. That is fascinating. Oh my gosh. Yeah, totally. <laughs> if you are a student or a professor that is using magic to help you with your career, please talk to us. <laughs> yeah, please do. All right. So I think I unintentionally created several servitors and other thought forms when I was first getting into magic. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I think maybe kids who have like imaginary friends are actually doing this as well to like varying degrees. But my first intentional servitor was designed to help me like meet slash make some new female friends, not like partners or anything like that. Just like honest friends. Um, it was this cute little anthropomorphic flower looking thing somewhere between a daisy and a marigold with like appendages. It worked, but I hadn't really built in any kind of like self-destruct code or anything like that. And my imagination is particularly strong and I had a lot of t uh, trouble like forgetting about it or ignoring it. And that became really particularly difficult. So I had to figure out a way to get rid of this thing when I was finally done with it. Uh, it just wouldn't go away. So what I ended up doing was just going down into my mind castle. And I constructed this new little space within it. And then I conjured the servitor into that space. And I blasted it with a shotgun several times until it was this bloody dismembered mess. And then I jettisoned it out of my astral temple. Oh my. <laughs> That's how I got rid of it. Um, so it was around this time that I also uh, invited the, the Ganesha that I spoke about before into, into my mind castle. Um, though I just realized it's, it's not a true Ganesha. It's sort of a, a composite spirit. It's like a Ganesha in form and idea, but also has like attributes of like a Japanese Oni or ogre. Like it carries this big ass mace around. He's kind of there keeping everything else in check and making sure no random bits of code find their way in or out and run amok. Yeah, no, hell yeah, man. Yeah, totally. All right, so I'm going to tell a crazy story here. Do it. I know this episode isn't about ego magic. I guess it's just a topic I can't seem to stay away from, though. <laughs> I do have a story about doing ego magic with the help of an egregore or god form or Ooh. archetypal energy, I guess, in this case, maybe. <laughs> Hit us. All right. So there's obviously a lot of ways to contextualize an experience like the one I'm going to tell you guys about. Uh, you could use the psychological model and kind of consider like different levels of consciousness or whatever. You could use a spirit model or you know what? You could use whatever model you like. What I took away from the experience is that it doesn't super matter how you frame it. What really matters is that it was an interesting experience. And isn't that what we're all here for? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> to be perfectly honest, I really wasn't sure if like egregores or maybe more specifically like god forms were, how should I say this, like a thing? Like I had never had any personal experience. I'm ever the skeptic. I mean, it's one thing to like sense the presence of something. I definitely get that. But like actual you know, dialogue, you know, they say like, oh, you can make contact. And I always thought that was like bullshit, but I was always really super curious. Doubtful, but curious. Sure. So to trim a very long story down, uh, I had designed a pretty in-depth 40-day working to try to like kind of remove some creative blocks, which seemed to be too deep-rooted for like a simpler thing to take care of. I had kind of like walled off some stuff, like some of that energy for myself. I, I needed to like prove to myself that I was worthy of wielding it again. So, all right, I'm still an idiot. 
but I used to be much more of an idiot than I am now. We're all on that journey. <laughs> Things do get easier. <laughs> anyway, uh, I was working pretty heavily with the archetype of the Empress, uh, number three in the Tarot. I think it's kind of the idea of like maybe like the universal goddess energy would be a way to say it. Uh, right. Cer- certainly helpful if you're, you know, wanting to get more creativity or fertility and stuff like that. So anyway, as I got further and further into this exercise, doing the daily and weekly rituals that I designed, things got wilder and wilder. I guess that was to be expected. You know, like wildness is kind of a big aspect of the archetype. And lots of really weird and cool stuff started to like spin out of it. But I was also definitely like, it was definitely a huge trial and it definitely brought me to my fucking knees. But anyway, about 32 days in, I was like kind of meditating on all these rituals I'd been doing for like the last month or whatever. And I was like, I said it out loud. I was like, you know, it would be great to actually talk some time. And uh, as it turned out, she had a lot to say. <laughs> so it was wild anyway. <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> I think I should probably mention to you that like, like this thing that I'm talking about, like this working, it was something that I had put like months and months into planning. The whole thing was like fucking arduous as hell. It was exquisitely painful. Uh, it was fruitful in the long run though. Um, I also thought about it for like a year before I did it. So like maybe that gives you guys an idea of like how serious I was about doing something like that. Um, uh, it probably wasn't without its risk either. You know, like I said, it was a trial. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that if you're like, if you have some like big ambitious plan like that in mind, like definitely give it uh, the respect that it's due by giving it proper consideration first. Um, and yeah, as we talked about before, like sometimes the stuff can be rough. You might want to like make sure you have the proper support structures in place before you proceed. All right. So anyway, uh, majorly powerful experience, super crazy, super interesting, super difficult. I'm sure you guys will probably hear me talking more about it at some point. I don't know. But yeah, how about you? <laughs> Any brushes with egregores? Sort of. Maybe. I think there are a lot of different interpretations of what the phrase God form really means. Some people seem to see it as like a part of themselves or like higher than their higher self, but still sort of like a part of them somehow. And other interpretations, it's, you know, just another way to refer to divinity and then others use it solely as like a meditative focus yeah and like is there really any difference between any of those like when you're really get down to it too i don't know i don't know i'll i'll get to that point in a minute when i was in seventh or eighth grade i created my own pantheon like full set of god and i actually you know used them i i prayed to them for specific things and sometimes it worked I remember once, uh, you know, one summer my stepdad was was dragging me out to this huge chunk of land that he and my my mother had bought to help clear trees to build a house. And, uh, you know, this was sometime in the, the summer of my middle school year. I, you know, actually, I think it was after eighth grade. It was it was the summer between middle school and high school. And all I really wanted to do was like go out and skateboard with my friends and grind up the village green and run from the pigs and laugh about it later <laughs> on while, you know, homemaking some talking boards for local kids, you know. As you do. Yeah. So, you know, I I guess like my square of a stepfather thought I needed like manning up or something like that. So he had me out there cutting and stacking and clearing brush and it was like four plus hour days of just like dragging trees around and shit. It fucking sucked. So I had had this one deity that I would ask for it to rain. And whenever I'd get dragged out there, I would like pray to this deity I created myself and ask for it to bring rain. And several times I got like it went from clear sky to clouds and rain within 20 minutes. It was weird. I also have this like darker side of myself that I've spoken about before that I is like this entirely its own thought form of sorts, I guess. I and mean, I kind of keep it locked away in a, a freezer cell in my astral temple. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail about that because we've already talked about it. Much of my high school, though, you know, my high school years was not really super magical at all. It was more like, you know, leaning hard into leftist politics and listening to a ch- choke ton of heavy metal and 
basically <laughs> watching every horror movie out there made since the 80s. Um, but like by the time I got to college and I tripped a couple times and I became really interested in Buddhism and this all led me to this concept of Anatman, which is going to bring us around to the thing that I said that we were going to talk about. And this really radically changed my perspective on, on a lot of this stuff. There's this Bill Hicks quote. Um, Bill Hicks was a comedian and he kind of sums it up. He, he has this quote and it goes like this. Today, a young man on acid realized that all matter is merely en energy condensed to a slow vibration, that we are all one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. There's no such thing as death. Life is only a dream and we are the imagination of ourselves. Here's Tom with the weather. <laughs> so Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, right. So for me, the like maybe not the most fundamental, but like a, a key, maybe cornerstone, um, occult open secret to me is that all things are connected or really not connected, but that separateness is an illusion. All things are one. Self is an illusion too. We're all sort of part of this greater structure fulfilling one role or another. This goes for deities, servitors, ghosts, goblins, Schrodinger's cats, God forms. In Hinduism, the ultimate goal of the karmic cycle is to fulfill one's dharma, allowing one to achieve moksha or liberation from the cycle of reincarnation, whereby one's essential essence, which they call Atman, uh, unifies with the universal force Brahma, which is like unknowable, right? Wicca, mm -hmm. like, uh, the horned god and the triple goddess are the masculine and feminine aspects of the higher unknowable Drayton. Um, in Buddhism, they have a term called Anatman, which literally means no self. So yeah, I, you know, I guess I've bumped into spooks and specters here and there and had dialogue with this god and that. But at the end of the day, I think I was just talking to myself for more correctly, it was talking to itself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to quote the late Richard Alpert, also known as Baba Ram Das, pots are, the potter is, I am a hollow bamboo. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Like, I like what you said about talking to yourself or not. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. I had, I had never had any experience like that before. Like, I didn't, I, I'd always had people in my life that were like, you know, maybe like religious or whatever. And they had this like concept of like you know this relationship with this like higher power that was always like this really foreign concept to me like i just didn't like it didn't translate talking to god or whatever yeah it just didn't translate yeah. to me like somehow and i was like i was always super curious though and i was like is there a way to access this part of the human psychology like can i <laughs> can i pry it open <laughs> like yeah yeah uh, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So cool stories, uh, I guess. Hopefully you guys will know. think so. <laughs> Hopefully it's useful. <laughs> um, all right. And now, as we talked about before, we promised, let's uh let's fill everybody in on the server tour that we've been designing and uh talk about that a little bit. Yeah, okay. So we've been actually designing a couple servitors uh, specifically to help with the podcast itself. But the one that we decided we wanted to uh, really flesh out and put into motion first was one to help with the editing process and to make that go a little more smoothly. So we created several. Um, that's like the base statement of intent is um, I will invoke a servitor to help with the editing process or to help make the editing process easier. And then we created both empowerments and restraints for the servitor. You want to go into a couple of those? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, and I think our kind of intent with this is that like we were going to create a bunch of different servitors to fulfill like very specific tasks and hopefully thereby like make it easier to kind of like track and record the like, you know, whatever whatever results we might be able to gather from it. Yeah. So. And we'll post those on Patreon. Yeah, yeah, we're going to go into it. Uh, we're hoping it'll be a, a fun experiment for for us and for you guys to check out. All right, so some of the empowerments, we each chose two. Basically, like, you know, preventing snafus with, like, timing, keeping, like, our tech intact. We've 
had a few different issues with like, you know, computers crashing or uh, whatever, you know, you know, keeping us on track with that stuff. All right. And then the other thing that we were thinking is that it should be able to bilocate so that it could help us both at once. And in terms of like restraining it, you know, it's not going to do anything to mess with our work. It's not going to accept commands from people that aren't us. It's not going to, you know, exist longer than we told it to. And then another thing that you put in, Hector, that I really like is that it's going to consider itself a robot in terms of following Isaac Asimov's three laws of robotics. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah, definitely. I I really wanted to, to balance it out and put some control mechanisms on it so it didn't, like, you know, decide to do whatever the fuck it wanted to do. Um, you know, we didn't, like, need a 2001 Space Odyssey HAL incident or something <laughs> like that. So as we talked about before, like, as we were starting this out, we did a SWOT analysis. Yeah. I noted here that it would probably be a nice morale boost to have help with what I termed the ickiest task um, that goes into this work, which is the editing process. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Let's see. What else did we talk about? So SWAT, again, stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Some of the strengths we identified were, you know, that, uh, what strengths did we identify? Um, well, there, since there's more than one of us, right? Like there's supposed to be a cumulative effect in these things, right? Like, oh, right, right, right. So I, I mean, and that's something that we noted in the week, well, that I noted in the weaknesses, at least, is that I've never done this with anybody else before. So it'll be interesting to see how it turns out. Yeah, definitely. I've never done one of these with another person, too. So, yeah, I guess that is something we'll find out. Yeah, and I know that it's been done. You know, it's definitely been done. And I'm sure it's also been done, you know, remotely and stuff. But I wasn't able to, like, find any... I'm sure that's I'm sure it's out there, but I wasn't able to find any like protocol or so we can come up with our own and see how it works out. So that's fun. Yeah, totally. One of the opportunities we recognized was the moon cycle. So we're, we'll start charging it on the, the new moon, the dark moon, and then uh, perform its birthing ceremony of sorts on the following full moon. So, you know, doing constructive magic, right? Creating this sigil, empowering it as uh, as the moon moves towards its full state. Yeah, that's definitely like a kind of a traditional idea of like, you know, starting a project with the new moon and like letting it build up as the moon waxes. Yeah. All right. So potential sources of trouble, you know, because of like the domain in which this thing operates, if it goes wrong, it could be super frustrating, could complicate our working process with tech problems, data loss. And I have a note here, maybe we should back up our files before we launch it. Yes, on multiple devices, probably. <laughs> we have no idea, like, about its potential strength, you know. So, th- th- we have, th- but that's kind of the point of doing it. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> And, and when we got to that point is, so we, we had the empowerments, right? And then we got to, we did the SWOT analysis. And that's the point at which I was like, you know, I'm going to apply some restraints to it to tr- sort of kind of mitigate any of those potential threats. And so that's where that restraints portion actually came in. We didn't start with that. It, it came through going through this process. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. Some other considerations we came up with, we decided to uh, create two objects to anchor it with. And uh, I started thinking it'd be really cool to have it in a container of some kind that could easily be destroyed. And so I thought origami would be fun. And we talked about either like uh, making a paper box or a paper cube and ultimately decided that it would be good to you know, have our pre-cut piece of paper that we're going to make into this origami cube and draw the sigil and do all that and then fold it so that the sigil was on the inside of the cube, like sort of contained in the physical anchor. And then it could easily be dispatched by, you know, crushing it and burning it or whatever if uh, we needed to. Yeah. And like this idea of kind of like, you know, we were thinking about maybe like drawing the sigil on the consecrated paper, like during the initialization ritual. And then like when it's time to launch it, folding it into the cube and like this idea of kind of shaping a thing with your hands sort of like, you know, definitely hits for me. You know, it kind of reminds me of the golem that we were talking about earlier. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. One of the things we picked was a specific end date for it. So if we don't kill it by December 31st of 2020, uh, it will die on its own. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, like, you had suggested that we name it in, with the letters A through G so that we could also make a musical signal for it. Yeah. So we're going to sync our creation ritual up, you know, because we're going we're gonna to be doing it at the same time, but in different locations. So we're going to help sync ourselves um, by using some kind of music. And so what I'm going to do is uh, compose a little melody using the name that we created for it and then record that so that we can use it in that ritual. Yeah, and so we were kind of thinking about names, and I was like looking at the sigil that we created, and uh, yeah, we'll probably maybe like post this on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, like around the time that this comes out. But um, yeah, so the the name uh, Gab Bag kind of jumped out because <laughs> you know the realm that it operates in, and also it does kind of look like a little box or a bag with various items contained within it yeah totally what are some of the other considerations we we kind of talked about we kind of talked about like you know conceptualization of it like what kind of color do we associate with this thing you know right so uh hein talks about like generating a gestalt when you're trying to do this kind of work so you know how many senses can we we bring into it and and color was one that jumped up um as well as like physical shape and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I kind of thought about it like you know the realm of technology is kind of like I sort of imagine like a kind of a grayish purple mist. I don't know. Um, yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> so for the the main body of the sigil, we ultimately decided like we have multiple statements here. Like it's not just a statement of intent. It also includes these empowerments and restraints. So we created sort of like a a main body for the thing. And it started out because I was thinking of this idea of bilocation, like we wanted to be in two places. So I created this sort of uh, Venn diagram of two intersecting circles and then placing the bilocation sigil in that intersected portion of the two, right? But as I kept looking at it, I, I kept getting this image of like cellular budding, right? Like it would just reproduce and reproduce and reproduce. And I didn't want it to like bilocate and then think that, okay, I'm two separate things. Now we'll bilocate again and like keep going. Yeah, we don't need to populate the world with this fucking thing. Right? No, not, not at all. We'll have like a Mr. Meeseeks issue or some shit like that. But so what I did is I, I put a rectangle around the outside of it to sort of like contain it and then i wanted to sort of further program the idea into it that it was just two things so i took a line two lines actually and extended it from the top of the rectangle off the circles to turn them into whole notes like two is part of a whole Mm -hmm. Um, and then i turned each circle into uh yin yang uh, and then drew you know some added some of the sigils inside the little parts there uh, mirrored it on both sides and the same with the restraints except so all the empowerments are inside the circles and all the restraints are attached to the rectangle on the outside yeah yeah and kind of building off of like sort of just to give you guys sort of an idea of the process that we've been using um what you sent me i you know i, I built off of it i noticed you know this kind of idea of symmetry that was at play there so i made sure to like mirror that in the way that i drew the sigils that i had designed onto it um, I actually ended up binding uh, two of them together uh, for the two empowerments so that it could maintain its symmetry. So yeah, that's just a note about our process there. Yeah, actually, that's that brings a, a thing to mind that I, I, it's worth mentioning, I suppose, that I broke down like one of the restraints was the for the purpose of this restraint, the entity will consider itself a robot. And then carries on to this entity will follow Isaac Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics, right? Mm-hmm. So I broke that down into two separate sigils and then combined them together. Yeah, and sometimes it's better to do it that way, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, it felt like two separate but related concepts. So I wanted to make both of them very like clear in what I was doing. So, Hell yeah. No, for sure. And so we split up everything. There were eight empowerments and restraints. We each did two of each Mm -hmm. and then combined them. So it would have sort of like our combined thought power in it. Yeah. Yeah. We hoped it would be a kind of collaborative effort. So yeah. 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 You want to talk a little bit about the initialization ritual that we're planning? Yes, I would love to. 
Okay, so this is kind of our bare bones idea for an initialization ritual. We probably might, you know, modify this as time goes on. There's still a little a while before we're planning to do this. So, but this is sort of our working concept right now. So step one, set up the space and gather the materials. We're planning to speak to one another to confirm that everything is all ready to go. Possibly do like a ritual cleanse here. Uh, that's something that I like to incorporate depending on what's going on and if I have time and you know, the circumstances. All right, so this is real you know, basic step here for most rituals, like, you know, clear and banish the space in whatever manner you do that in. So like simple candle magic, I think is something that we're both pretty into. So we thought, well, I thought like, you know, maybe light a candle, possibly like carve, there's like a sigil that I think we've worked with a little bit. It's sort of like this idea of, I don't know, when I designed, I thought of like, you know, what would like a sigil for teamwork look like or whatever, like, or like syncing up, you know, like not to go too far into it. But yeah, anyway, I thought that could be a good way to go. So possibly carve that in there. Most rituals that I like to do include some kind of a sacrament. Yeah, you've talked about various herbs that you might use. I like to eat something sweet as like a nod to the way opener or Ganesha or, you know, whatever name you want to call them by personally. And so we thought also, you know, listen to some kind of a piece of music or the musical composition that you were talking about, Hector, and then kind of like focus, meditate for a second, look at the candle, draw the sigil on the consecrated paper, and speak some words. Uh, we thought something, you know, this is kind of like a working... Uh, <laughs> it's a work in progress. We're not Yeah, a work in progress. So yeah, the, again, a, a glimpse here into our process here. <laughs> oh, totally. I, I think it's going to be helpful for for a lot of people. I hope. Anyway. I hope so. I do. I hope so. It's obviously not polished, but we're working on it, right? So, yeah, yeah. all right. From the depths of the mind, the vast spaces within, we call you, Gav Bag. This is your sign. You're bound to it. Begin to gather yourself within it. We will bring you forth by the effort of our will, and you will be bound to fulfill the purpose for which you were created and to abide by the constraints to which we have placed upon you. We will give you life. You will give us service. You will gather strength to fulfill your duty from the thoughts and energy we feed to you and your sigil. We will bring you out of the world within and into the world without on the night of the next full moon. Until that time, gather yourself and prepare to emerge. As we speak, we create. So mote it be. <laughs> <laughs> so, this, is, <laughs> this is the point where we banish with laughter, which <laughs> will probably be pretty easy to do <laughs> after saying that stuff. So... <laughs> <laughs> and this is why we call this episode do my bidding <laughs> do my bidding <laughs> yeah and then you know deconstruction like grounding you know, we thought we could like kind of check in and reflect on how it went and probably record that conversation because it might be interesting we'll see Maybe yeah. it won't be, but you never Maybe know. Maybe it won't be, but you you know, I feel like <laughs> if we have the the record button always on, we'll, we're bound to catch, you know, something here and there. Yeah, no, I, it definitely makes sense to me to document things, right? Like that's a big part of trying to find things out. So yeah, why not do yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. Why not do it, right? I, I always feel like with some, some of the previous co-hosts, we've had so many great conversations that, you know, I wish we had recorded. We were yeah. just like shooting the shit before, you know, starting an episode and we lost like just some, some gold. That, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Anyway. Well, we can always hit record. <laughs> Maybe we should just do that. All right, we'll do that from now on. Okay. So, hey, I mean, that brings us pretty much towards the end. I'm going to say your homework, dear friends, is to create a servitor or employ an entity of some kind. Obviously, you can evoke a spirit or petition your favorite deity, you know, make an offering to Santa Muerte, whatever. But really, in this episode, we wanted to show you how easy it is to, to create your own. Petitioning existing entities can be incredibly fruitful. But it, yeah, it comes with its own set of challenges, so we'll leave that for another space time. For now, we have some work cited to do. And the first thing on our list here is the Holy Bible, written by many people and edited by many people. 
time and time again. <laughs> the Complete Psychonaut Field Manual, A Cartoon Guide to Chaos Magic by Arch Trader Blue Fluke. Uh, Condensed Chaos by Phil Hine. Libra Null and Psychonaut by Peter J. Carroll. Libra LS by the DKMU. The Watkins Dictionary of Magic by Neville Jury. And that brings us to the end uh fellow friends please like us on instagram follow us on instagram at fool's guide like our facebook page join our community page fellow travelers uh consider popping over to our patreon and and helping out your hosts here we're, we're doing this for free right now so yeah i mean we're doing it because we love it but if you love it too you should also like you know subscribe and tell your friends like maybe maybe they're into it too you never know yeah it's always more fun when you're doing magic with your friends so tell your friends absolutely and hey we love it when you know fans message us on instagram or facebook or whatever yeah email anything or yeah post on the the community page it's great to talk to you all it's been lovely to to hear how beneficial the show has been for some people so you know reach out we're we're open to chatting especially in this time of social isolation where many of us haven't been out of the house in a week or so or maybe longer so hey definitely with that i think that brings us to an end and maybe we'll uh let you listen to this very strange piece of music I may compose out of our servitor's uh, name.